It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a really good one in store today with uh, definitely some high-profile uh, guests. Coming up in the uh, third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to look back in history a little bit at the life of... Um, Jesse Owens, in a children's book called Just Like Jesse Owens, written by, and as told to, Paula Young Shelton, who is a a children's book writer, but also the daughter of Ambassador Andrew Young. And the two of them worked on this project together. We're going to talk about that coming up a little later. But we're going to start out the show with a couple hours of... uh, High-ranking uh, journalists, um, starting out with uh, longtime reporter and, and TV anchor in Boston, Natalie Jacobson, who uh, has written a book about her uh, her life, her experiences, and some of the stories she's covered, um, called Every Life a Story. And it's uh, eh, kind of a memoir, I think. Um, but, uh, but interesting all the same. And then, um, if that wasn't good enough, we have an NFL journalist who writes for, uh, ESPN and Anscape. He's worked for a number of newspapers around the country in New York Times, Washington Post. And, um, his name is Jason Reed, and he's written... A book, this is going to be uh, real interesting coming up in the, uh, I think it's the, the second hour, um, called The Rise of the Black Quarterback and What It Means for America. So, um, we've got sports writer, TV anchor from Boston, and uh, Ambassador Young's daughter. I, it just doesn't get any better than this, folks, and interesting stuff. So I hope you'll uh, stay tuned and enjoy it. Um, and uh, let's see, what else can I tell you? Well, we'll, we'll, oh, I know what I can tell you because the, uh, because Back to the Bricks is coming up. You know, I, I sometimes, depending on how the time goes, try and squeeze in a little bit of local music. And I will be doing that, but for the next uh, couple of weeks or so, I will be, uh, making uh, all of the music I will select will be by local artists but they'll be cartoons and you'll you'll see what I mean when you when you hear the music uh, 
Just think cartoons, and, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Anyway, stay tuned. We're off to Boston. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is uh, has been a longtime Boston TV anchor and has recently written a uh, memoir called Every Life a Story. And we're going to talk about her, uh, uh, about the, the memoir and also her um, career as a reporter and anchor and the uh, countless stories that she has uh, covered. Her name is Natalie Jacob- Jacobson, and she uh, joins me by phone. Uh, Good morning, Natalie. Welcome to the show. Well, good morning, Tom. Um, you know, the, working in media has changed dramatically over the last few decades. Um, is is that somehow uh, a factor in your decision to write a memoir? Um, I don't think so. I, actually, I never wanted to write write a book, but <laughs> uh, then COVID hit in March of 20, 2020, and I didn't know what to do with myself, and I'd been away from my work. I worked for 40 years at WCBB-TV and WBZ or before that in Boston, and people would say, well, I wish you'd write a book. Why don't you write a book? I was a reporter and anchor for um, most of those years. Any rate, so with nothing to do, I sat down at the computer and just wrote for about four or five hours every day for about six weeks. And what came out was a reporter's journal. Um, I didn't try to write a book. I just wrote stories. And somehow they managed to flow together. Um, miracles happen. <laughs> so, well, well anyway, kudos. That's what I've got. It's, it's, it's more a story about the people and the events and the city and the state and so forth than it is a a personal memoir. Well, kudos to you, Natalie, um, because I talked to some some very successful writers who admitted that when the pandemic hit, they were dumbstruck, like like deer in the headlights, and really? and and you know looked back over the couple of years that they spent in you know quarantine and lockdown and so on, and said, you know. I could have gotten so much done, and I, 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 but I was just kind of shocked by it all and stunned by it all, and and mm-hmm. uh, so anybody that accomplished anything or was productive during the the pandemic pandemic gets a hat tip from me. Well, thank you. It was a way of turning a negative into a positive, so it worked. <laughs> well, yeah, it's sort of like you know how how I spent my quarant my uh, COVID <laughs> quarantine, right. Back to grammar school, right? But but let's let's talk a little bit about how you spent your career, which is you know at the heart of the book and some of the stories you shared, and some of them are stories that became big national stories, like the uh, uh, the imposter in the uh, annual Boston Marathon, Rosie Ruiz. Yes, well, it, being a reporter in Boston is really a gift because. Boston is the hub of a six-state region, and New England. And as a result, it's also a, it's a major port in both for boats and uh, airplanes. So a lot of people are moving in and out of that area all of the time. 
And it's a vibrant, a vibrant place. Uh, not everything from our the four sports teams to the politics, which is dominates the city, to the multiculturalism of the city. So there are a lot of stories for sure um, to that happened at the Boston Marathon, the world's oldest continuing uh, marathon. Um, yes, that was quite a, quite a story. We did we covered that live every year. I was fortunate to work for the news station, new in 1972, WCVB TV, and the people who ran it just were out to make to create the best TV station they could. So they promised the FCC in the effort to get the license for the station that we would do all kinds of local programming. We did over 60 hours of new local programming a week. Nobody does that. And then in terms of news, news was being, we were pioneers in news back in the early 70s uh, in the sense that local news wasn't established the way it is today. Of course, it's changed, as you suggest, dramatically today. But we we were fortunate to be part of the beginning, the genesis. And there were no rules. So if there was a story somewhere, we went for it. And our, our mantra was always, what do the people need to know? And we were very much part of the community. It wasn't, oh, those are those TV people and, you know, we're just average citizens. No, we were all in the same boat together, which made for a vibrant town. It made for a vibrant television station. And it made a job in working there for someone like me and my many wonderful colleagues uh, exciting. I couldn't wait to get to work in the morning. You know, I want to ask you about that because you just said something that I thought was um, extremely profound, and and it's an issue that's been near and dear to my heart when you said that the the staff at this TV station was asking themselves, what do people need to know? Yep. Well, we ask that question every day, yep. That has changed. Yep. You know, that's at the heart of what's changed because it seems like more and more uh, editors and, uh, you know, contributors to various news outlets are asking, what would people like to know? What will that's get the right. most clicks? Well, you know, as I, meant, as I mentioned in my book, you know, with the question in the morning changed from what do people need to know to uh, what will they watch? And, and the... The question changes the content uh, dramatically. So, I think you know, and and yeah. you know, I I, I don't want to uh, belabor the point, but you know, we had the uh, everybody heard about the the Flint water crisis and the breakdown with our municipal water system, and the yeah. thing is, nobody was paying any attention to the pipes underground for years. Not government officials, not the media, you know, it wasn't something people would want to watch. Well, you know, that's, I guess that's up to the people who are reporters at newspapers, radio and TV stations in Flint, you know, part of our responsibility as, as journalists or reporters, but I kind of like to use the smaller word reporter Journalist sounds too grandiose for me, <laughs> um, but at uh, any rate, you know it's up to us to go and find those things. Uh, you know, other people have other jobs: electricians, teachers, plumbers, firemen, etc. And it's our uh, responsibility to find out what's going on in our community, everything from the infrastructure that you're talking about to the politics of the city, to the school systems, to the, to everything. 
And that's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, we're supposed to unearth issues or, and as well as report wonderful, wonderful things that are going on in your community. But, you know, I think it's important, too, to if you're looking at the media, Tom, is to differentiate between, say, local TV and cable TV or even broadcast news, ABC, CBS, NBC, and cable and Internet. Uh, it's, 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 the whole thing is very different. There was a time when most people sat down at dinner, turned on the 6 o'clock news, and got caught up on what was going on in their world and locale. Now people are looking at married to their phones, their screens, all day long, and are getting information from anywhere, uh, which may or may not be accurate. That's, so a, that's, an, important, now, that's an important point, Natalie, because um, I, I talked to, uh, this was some years ago, I talked to uh, an FBI profiler, and we were talking from Quantico, and we were talking about... Um, school shootings in particular, uh, you know, mass casualty events. And she was saying that most of the news that comes out immediately, um, you know, the, some of the posts on, on social media by legitimate news outlets and just individuals, she said a lot of that information that comes out in the first 24 hours is wrong. That's right. And that that begs the question to, you know, a seasoned uh, reporter <laughs> such as yourself, um, you know, over after having spent many years in the business, um, how long does it take for a story to mature, and and which is more important, getting it out there first or being the most accurate? Well, of course, for me, it would be being the most accurate. But you can get out there first with what, what you know. But I think it's important to be honest and only report what you know and say that. Share that. Viewers aren't stupid. You know, say, look, I just got here to the scene. Where we've got three rolled over trucks. Um, bodies are strewn across the highway. I can't even tell you how many yet. But, you know, we're here. We'll gather the information and report back to you. And But then you might also tell people that the road's closed. So if you're planning to drive down that highway, you need to you know, go somewhere else. And I, and in cases like that of accidents, for example, uh, I think it's important to remember that the people that are hurt, you know, or from the accident, your concerns are that they're okay or they'll be taken care of. But you need to also be concerned about their loved ones who are watching this thing, thinking, oh, my God, it's, you know, is my husband, my wife, my son, daughter, okay? So it's, you know, all stories are about people, and it's important to to consider that. And as for as for being factual, uh, yes, you're right. First impressions are wrong. We used to take note of the fact that in the case of an accident that I was just describing, you could talk to five witnesses and you would get five different stories. Exactly. It, it's just the way it is. And so, and if you're a reporter, you know that. So therefore, you're careful, and you got to. It's not hard to stick to the facts. It really isn't, as opposed to impressions. More with television reporter and anchor-turned-author from Boston, Natalie Jacobson, straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with television reporter and anchor-turned-author from Boston, Natalie Jacobson, straight ahead. There are certain questions that that we want answered that it's tempting to, to fill in answers that may not be, you know, fully vetted. And one of the things that comes up in the mass shooting scenario that I mentioned earlier is wrong number of uh, victims, you know, whether injured or killed, and um, wrong number of uh, suspects and wrong uh, type of weapon. Those are some of the things that are most commonly wrong in that first breaking news story. Mm-hmm. And I've, and well, that's poor Natalie, reporting. I've gotten a little, yeah, I think so too. But but I want to ask why? Why do you think that is? Is it just our our race to be first, or in um, some cases, probably? Uh, or probably. are the or are the reporters um, young, inexperienced, or worse, incompetent? Maybe all of the above. Because I wonder sometimes, you know, some of the things that I that I read, even in some of the bigger news outlets, cable, internet, or or otherwise, um, and I I I wonder if some of the people writing really understand the things they're writing about. Maybe not. You know, I, it's hard to generalize. Um, you it know, is. You have to look to a particular story. Certainly, there. There's a lot of editorializing going on. Uh, there always has been with newspapers, as I'm sure you know. You know, newspapers were created by people who had enough money to put up a printing press and put out their viewpoint many, many years ago. And there was never any doubt as to a newspaper being left or right. But generally, the front page was newsworthy, has been, and the editorial page was where you got a sense of the drift of the, of the people who owned the paper. But today, you have a very different situation. We have a, we just have an awful, I, I think we're in a lot of trouble here in our country when, in the sense that people don't want to talk to the other side. It's my way or the highway. If you don't agree with the way I want to do it, you must be stupid or un-American. Um, and cable promotes that more than anyone because cable has never been regulated by the FCC. When they actually want the way that happened, perhaps you know this. Or you they don't have me. that history of fairness doctrines and and other no. standards. And, and the you know the reason for that is that uh, when the government, when the FCC, Federal Communications Commission, tried to um, impose the same rules of fairness, equal time, ascertaining the needs of the community, etc., cable said, no, 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 you have no control over us because we don't use federal airwaves. And they, it was a long court battle, and they won. And so not only were they not regulated, but then cable, which started off way back with CNN doing some fantastic, in my opinion, uh, live reporting, video live reporting as it's happening. That was not a normal thing. Today it is. But they really started that whole genre of being on the scene while it's happening and, repu- and putting it on the air while it's happening. And they also were doing some terrific, feder- um, excuse me, international reporting. But it then went to, as you can see, most most of cable, CNN, Fox, whatever, um, are, are, and there are some notable exceptions. I need to say that right off the bat, are very opinionated. 
It's and they find the facts to feed their narrative, their own opinion of things, and that's too bad. Um, I've just stopped watching cable for a while. I, I I'm having I the same difficulty. I'm having the same difficulty, Natalie, because I've, I've noticed a real shift um, in in television, for example, whether it's cable or or even uh, uh, what's left of the of the big three or four, I guess now. Um, is they put a reporter on the lawn in front of the White House, and in in days of old that reporter would be standing next to a White House staffer or an expert on what they're covering, what the story that they're reporting on. And it would mostly, most of the information would be attributed to that expert or White House staffer. Now it's the reporter themselves. And well, they're standing I, you know, I, again, there by, by themselves trying to report on, on news, and we don't have the same sources that we used to have. Well, I'm not sure. You know, again, it's difficult to generalize, but generally that reporter who's doing what they call a stand-up in front of the White House that you're talking about has already talked to those experts, or should have. Um, so President Biden decided to sign such and such a bill, and they took pictures of that. So then it's up to the reporter to talk to people about what's in the bill and why are you supporting it or why are you not supporting it or why did you support it. That's, that's the job of the reporter. So all of that work of <clears throat> taking pictures and recording interviews with people, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> morning fog, um, has already been done by the time the reporter's standing there in front of the White House or wherever. But we don't always see that part because the attribution gets lost and the reporter reports as if they are the expert. Oh, well, that's, you know, that's too bad. That's not good. Um, they shouldn't and, be doing that. And that's what I see a lot. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of... Turned, well, there is, like it, in any profession, there are good ones and bad ones. And it, Well, it's, it's turned me off, and I'm not sure how it's impacted other people because there certainly is um, a lack of trust in uh, yes. in media pretty widespread these days um, yes. but that trust extends to government officials and regulatory people and science experts right. you know that's that's uh everyone it's sad yeah it's, it it's, is sad. it's become it has become a moment of who who can you trust well and, that's that's a result i well in at least in part um, to the notion of, quote, fake news or alternative facts. Um, now it's at the point where, you know, whatever someone says, it's it's just refuted as uh, fake news or, or you know. Um, right. Well, it's reflective, as you said, of the, of the lack of trust. Yeah. Exactly, and and I think you know, um, Mr. Trump came up with that fake news, uh, and it's kind of too bad because, <clears throat> I mean, is it fake news? Is it um, is it incorrect news? Is it um, uninformed information? Is it misinformed information? So, and I think that that phrase, alternative facts, that um, I can't remember her name all of a sudden here that said, I don't, you know, giving her the benefit of the doubt, she wasn't saying, at least if you listen to the whole content of what she said that day, 
she was a White House spokesperson. Kellyanne Conway. Thank you, Kellyanne Conway. I drew a blank there. I think giving her the benefit of the doubt and in context, what she was saying is you don't have all the facts. The people that just reported XYZ left out ABC. So here, so she used uh, an unfortunate term that the media jumped all over to suggest that what she meant was in, incorrect information or lies. Um, so it's, it's too bad. But I think, you know, the media is largely responsible for the tenor in this country of combativeness, of, of um, taking sides, uh, of only reporting one side of a story and not two. Both, both parties have their extremes, which is not new in the history of America. But what maybe is new in, 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 this, in the context of this new world we live in, of the Internet and so forth and social media, is that people, don't, people have trouble, including me and, and you, uh, trying to find accurate information. And it's, it's sad. It's very sad. Is, the, have... is the media's role in uh, uh, contributing to the divide you know, this, yes. this uh, ideological uh, yes. divide. Um, is that a result? Um, this is a theory of mine, and you can do with it what you will. Um, that it's it's in some part been drawn into what we call niche marketing. Uh, I don't know about that. You know, I, we, I we start out, you know, what I'm saying is there was this idea that we would identify somebody we were marketing to, say, a soccer mom, and we knew that they would let, that they would um, like minivans. And then somehow the the cable news outlets sort of made that that same sort of leap to what's the audience we want to get, and what are the things that will draw them in. Well, I hope you're wrong. Um, I, I, I didn't see that during my time there, and I'm not sure I see it now. But um, you know, I'm that glad to hear you the, say that. Actually, yeah. because no, I, I think I it did looks not, like that. I never experienced that. Yeah, my, perhaps you have a station in Flint that's doing that kind of thing, but we did not at WCVB. And the other thing is, I started my career ascertaining the needs of the community. To borrow the exact phrase from the regulation of the FCC. I started a little UHF station in Boston, and my first job was to uh, go and interview people. Who is, who's out there? Who, who is the community? Who are the people? What do they think about? What do they dream about? What do they go to bed worried about? How do they raise their children? What do they expect from their government? What do they expect from their television station? I interviewed, I don't know, 500 people or so, for everyone from the governor to the guy digging ditches, and all, and all colors, all sizes, all ages, so ethnicities, et cetera. And then I wrote up a report and gave it to the management and had some suggestions of how we might program to those needs. I think it's too bad that um, I think maybe more than anything, now that, now that you've guided me in this direction, <laughs> um, maybe more than anything is not understanding who our fellow Americans are. You know, the people on the two coasts seem to think that you know, it's flyover country. Some people think that. Not everyone thinks that. And and that, you know, oh, those people, they make denigrating comments about it. Um, 
even our president, when he was a sitting president, Mr. Obama said, oh, let's leave them to their guns and religion. Uh, that's a disparaging comment. A woman who, Hillary Clinton, who wanted to be president, you know, talked about the deplorables who would vote for someone other than herself, especially someone like a Trump. That's not, how do you lead a country when you think half the country is, you know, off base uh, or more than half the country? So I think what's, one of the things that's lost is understanding our fellow Americans, as I just said. And one of the ways the media did that back then was to ascertain the needs of the community. That means getting to know them. Who are they? And then you know when a, let's say, in, in this energy crisis, and you, there's a report about someone who is just um, is going to tell you about a new way of using nuclear energy that might be safer. And if you know your community and you're in New England and you have a Seabrook nuclear power plant, and back in the day we had a Pilgrim nuclear power, power plant also, then you know that because you're out there on the street, you're talking to the people who live in those communities. And you know if they're worried about it or they're not worried about it. And what is it that they're worried about? And if you're a good reporter and you work for a good television station and you work for a, a good newspaper, et cetera, radio station, you're going to go out and find out, is this safe? Would this work? Who knows? Is it speculation it might work? Have there been some tests on this new operation? What about the existing plant? Is there anything we need to know? Should it be improved upon, et cetera? That's what news is. That's what a reporter is supposed to do. You know, a, a, an electrician is supposed to come in and figure out why your lights don't work and why the fan's not working and, and wiring your house. He knows his trade or she. And our trade as news reporters, is to go and find information, put it in a context that makes sense and is as accurate as you can be to further the, the life of your fellow Americans. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Who cares what your opinion is? You know, it's not... You're, I, I don't, I mean, and I think it's wrong. There's a place for editorials, and there have been some great people in, in print and broadcast and elsewhere uh, who have wonderful ideas, and you want to hear them. Uh, but I think in the, they don't belong in what you say is a newscast. It should be labeled commentary, editorial, Joe Blow's opinion, etc. But the two are mixed uh, very often now, and it's hard, I think, for the average person who's very busy raising kids and earning a living, uh, trying to maintain their own life, to discern what's accurate, what's not, who do I trust, who do I not, I think we're asking a lot of people to do what someone else should be doing, that being the journalists or reporters. Well, Natalie, I uh, somewhat um, intentionally dragged you into one of my favorite topics, and that's just talking about how the media has changed and how it serves and doesn't serve people. Um, but your book is about the people themselves, and you've alluded to that as we've been talking. And I want to get into uh, some of that. The book is Every Life a Story, written by uh, reporter and anchor uh, from Boston, uh, Natalie Jacobson. Natalie, what are some of the favorite stories that you covered? You mentioned, uh, uh, you know, from presidents to you know the guy on the street what what are some of the ones that stick out that were the most meaningful to you 
Well, that's what I wrote about. That's what the book is. Um, it, it has, for example, we had a governor whose name was Michael Dukakis who ran for president. That's a big story. <clears throat> and, you know, I covered him from his initial attempt to be the governor of Massachusetts. So I and all the other local reporters <laughs> and, and knew his, him very well. His ill-fated tank ride. Yes, all of that. And so I talk about that because it was firsthand. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, they're so... That's what I hope why I hope people will enjoy the book because it takes you through life and you don't have to be from Boston because the same things happen in Michigan that happen pretty much everywhere else. Um, you know, the wars that we went through, the this the blizzard in our case, the blizzard of seventy eight, you've had your weather situation. You've had uh, racial issues. We had racial issues. Uh, so and I call the story, I mean, the book, Every Life is a Story. Actually, I originally had it at Every Life is a Story, and I got talked out of the verb, which I'm kind of unhappy about, but there I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> Editors. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was, I'm the publisher. I couldn't get anyone to publish my book because um, I'm just a local person, I was told, and the big publishing houses want national names. So, any rate, so it cost me a lot of money and a lot of digging because I don't know anything about publishing a book. Um, so I've made a lot of mistakes. But <clears throat> be that as it may, I hope people enjoy it because I think it's a story of life. It's a story about people. It's a story about the people who lead us. It's a story about coming together and helping each other when we need it. We've had the nation knew the muscular dystrophy telethon, and I got to know the children and the adults affected by that. And, they became part of our family. So I think what this, I hope what people take from this is an enjoyable read, but coming back, coming at the end and feeling good about their fellow man and feeling good about life and feeling positive that changes can be made. We can do things better than we do if we really want to. And there are people trying. And overall, I think the sense that I hope I conveyed in this book is one of community. We're all in the same boat. This little earth that we have here that we're trying hard not to completely destroy, but is changing politically, geographically, every way, um, that we, we, we're not a little place anymore. However, local news is the little place where you go to and can see your neighbors and can see the school your kids go to and the State house where your laws come from and your baseball and football and basketball hockey teams. And there's a sense of togetherness and a sense of we can do anything if we just do it together for all the right reasons and respect one another and not put one race over another or one religion over another or one gender over another <clears throat> and not, <clears throat> excuse me, try to bow to every little change that comes along, but to incorporate it in the bigger picture of life. Natalie, now that you've been through the process of, uh, and sounds like grueling process of publishing a book, um, would you do it again? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, now that you know how, you know, might, might you write another book? Well, I'll, you know, I guess I'll say I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, not, one doesn't come to mind at the moment, but I need to learn more about I need to find someone who's smart about some of these podcasts and things. I, I feel like I'm not done yet. 
and that I'd like to continue to contribute in the world of information. And one of the programs I think about doing, um, and I don't know how you go about it with a podcast necessarily, is bringing people of opposing views together and asking the big question, why? Why do you think that way? Why does that work? Who does it help? Who does it hurt? Um, and to try to, to re-engage in conversation versus giving speeches about my opinion. See, I try, to do, that, to, I try to do that every day. Good and, for you. And it's, uh, in fact, uh, on, on Wednesdays I do a political roundtable with somebody on the right and somebody on the left. And, and a rotate, How good for you. In a rotating How does that work chair. for you? Is it good? Um, do you well, get people to listen and compromise? Uh, we have some very civilized conversations. Whether or not people are l- listening and being affected by it is still very much up in the air, and I'm by no means getting rich doing it. <laughs> Probably not. Me neither. <laughs> but you know about that. I, I remember a, a funny story one time when uh, uh, the Flint Journal, uh, like other you know, city newspapers, was the paper of record and published every day. And there was a, a reporter there that I had gotten to know, and I had some information about a story that was developing in Flint, a big story. And, and, um, and, and I wanted to talk to him, and I called the paper and and asked for this particular reporter, and whoever answered the phone in the newsroom said, oh, they're not here anymore. they got a real job. <laughs> oh, wow. What a condemnation. <laughs> I know, right? Um, I, I think it was meant to be funny, but, you know, you could you could yeah. take it a lot of different ways. But uh, well, you could take it positively, too. You know, we used to joke about that, say, what would we ever do if we had to get a real job? And what we meant by that is we're so lucky to be reporters in, a, in Boston and working for this phenomenal television station. So it was our way of saying we love what we do. I, I get that. I get that because I love what I do as well. Natalie, it's been a real treat talking with you, and I wish you all the best of luck with the uh, thanks, Tom, with the book and and perhaps with your search uh, into the into the world of um, podcasting. Yeah, but we'll see. <laughs> I, need, I need a new education. Okay, Tom, thank you for having me, and I wish what, you well and all your listeners as well. One, one last thing, Natalie, I always do is let uh, guests um, share with listeners where they might find out more about you, uh, the book, your work, past, present, and God well, the best the place to probably to buy the book, because I don't know that any anybody put any books in the Michigan bookstore, so Amazon is carrying it. I also did an audio version, so there's a, an audible that is uh, with my voice. I, would, I read my own book, of course, um, and there's an e-book, and you can get all of that on Amazon. I don't know if any of the bookstores are, have them. They do in, in New England, um, but I guess I would direct you to Amazon. Do you have a website? I don't. <laughs> there you go. You see, I'm, in, uh, I'm behind the times. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for spending this time with me, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Tom. Okay, right. bye-bye. Take care. Once again, that was uh, Natalie uh, Jacobson. She was um, a uh, television reporter and anchor for um, 40 years in uh, Boston. She has a new book. It's a memoir called Every Life a Story.
We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flip Flip Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. 
engineering and IT services at swiftland.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. It's 8 o'clock in Los Angeles. It's 9 o'clock in Denver. It's 10 o'clock in Chicago. In Baltimore, it's 642. <laughs> the 11 o'clock report. First of all, the headlines. Welcome Wagon runs over newcomer. Good humor man slays 10. Pen pal stabs pal with pen. Pediatrician dies of childhood disease. And Jacques Cousteau drowns in bathtub accident. We'll be back with full details in just a moment after this word from Cooley's Cigarettes. know something, Bill? These cigarettes of mine, they taste like crap. <laughs> Say, Dan. <laughs> Crappy taste. Why don't you try the cool, refreshing taste of Coolies? Coolies, eh? You smoke them? Nope, found them in the subway toilet. <laughs> and now back to the news. History's 135th heart transplant operation was performed yesterday in New York City. One unusual note, the heart transplant took place in Central Park at midnight, and the donor's family was not consulted. Dr. Timothy Leary's brother, really Leary, Today announced the formation of a new religion, which teaches that when you die, your soul goes to a garage in Buffalo. <laughs> Police today arrested Margaret Fulcrum, a 45-year-old unregistered nurse, and charged her with accepting collect obscene telephone calls. Famed television announcer Charlie the Tuna was found dead today of mercury poisoning. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. Good news from the Far East. No one was killed in Vietnam today. However, three people died of old age at the Paris Peace Talks. <laughs> and former French President Charles de Gaulle rose from the dead today, just to show everyone he could really do it. Well, that's it from the news desk for the latest in sports. Here's Biff Barf. Good evening, sport fans. Biff Barf here in the Biff Barf Sportlight Spotlight, picking them up and barfing them right back at you. I call them the way I see them, and if I don't see them, I make them up. No games today. However, we do have a few late football scores still coming in from the far west. Guam Prep, 45. Marshall Islands, 14. Mindanao A&M, 27. Molokai, 10. Caltech, 14.5. MIT, three to the fourth power. <laughs> William and Mary, six. Nick and Tony, 105. 
And here's a partial score, Stanford 29. Well, that's it, kids. That's it from the scoreboard in the world of golf today in the Fats Domino Desert Classic. First round leader, Willie Waterhazard, had a birdie, two eagles, and a duck this afternoon. Meanwhile, the favorite Gary Fairway was way behind, scoring a record 609 strokes on the front nine when he accidentally stepped aboard a bus to Minneapolis while playing a difficult lie from the highway. Well, that's it, sport fans. Join me tomorrow afternoon on the ever-widening world of sports when I'll be presenting the national two-man pall-bearing championships. And next week, I'll be a guest hunter on American Sportsman. Six of us are going to kill a rabbit. The latest in weather, here's Al Sleet, your hippy-dippy weatherman. Hey! Hey! Hey, hey possum! Hey, what you call your possum? Al Sleet, your hippy-dippy weatherman, brought to you by Parsons Pest Control. Do you have termites, water bugs, and roaches? Parsons will get rid of the termites and water bugs and help you smoke the roaches. <laughs> Present temperature is 68 degrees at the airport, which is stupid, because I don't know anyone who lives at the airport. <laughs> Downtown, it's much hotter. Downtown's on fire, man. Now, if you'll take a look at our national weather map, you'll see that we don't have one. <laughs> So try to picture last night's map in your mind. Remember all those lines and numbers. Weather was dominated by a large Canadian low, which is not to be confused with a Mexican high. <laughs> Tonight's forecast, dark. Continued mostly dark tonight turning to widely scattered light in the morning. <laughs> That's it from Al Sleet. Don't forget, if you don't like the weather, move. Thanks, Al. Always a great report from Al Sleet. I think we all know by now, Al's been into the mushrooms. <laughs> well, that just about wraps it up on the 7 o'clock report. Join us again tomorrow night at 9 for the 11 o'clock news. In the meantime, stay tuned for a brand new comedy series, Double Trouble, the story of Siamese twins joined at the lips. And the merry mix-ups that occur when one gets married and the other has root canal work the same day. Good night, all. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. I saw the photograph 
car He didn't notice that the lights had changed A crowd of people stood aside They seen his face before Nobody was really sure if he was from the house of show down here. 
It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.